This is episode number 173 of the Rising Man podcast with Joseph DeRoma. Leadership is more than just what you say. It's how you show up. Welcome back, Rising Man family. It's good to have you here on the Rising Man podcast. Thank you for joining me today. Jetty Azuma, your host and the creator of the show. Honored to have you as a guest. All right, before we jump into today's guest, make sure you swing over to risingman.org and check out all the amazing offerings we got going on. There's something out there for every one of you guys. I challenge you. I challenge you to step in, become a bigger part of this community, and challenge yourself to go to the next level. You don't go to the next level just by sitting around. So go check us out at risingman.org. We got another round of Inferno coming up. We got another Elements popping off in June. If you're not subscribed to the newsletter, make sure you do that because that's where we give you guys all the weekly updates for everything going on. All right. Without further ado, let me introduce my guest for today. Joseph DeRoma is the managing partner of the Successful Mail North America and co-host of the Successful Mail podcast. Joseph held positions as managing partner of a multi-million dollar restaurant leading teams and operations to overseeing productivity for 189 locations, creating initiatives to enhance, adjusting operating margins, and simplify operational execution. He was crushing it. He was a boss. And during that time, he discovered his passion for people development. Joseph became a Newfield certified coach trained in ontology, somatic dispositions, and emotional intelligence. And he specializes in personal development and leadership. He is a husband and a father fighting to raise the standard for men all over the world. Powerful dude, let me tell you. In this episode, Joseph and I geeked out about embodied leadership presence and linguistic distinctions that improve relationships and help navigate emotional territory. Just hang tight, we'll we'll explain. (laughs) We dropped in about integrity and the essential role it plays in leadership. Joe talked about how we build trust in relationships over time. And he introduced the topic of the generative nature of language, how we create our reality around us with the words that transmit thoughts super, super powerful tool. We also discussed assessments and assertions, deciphering between facts and opinions. And lastly, how we can all create stronger relationships by the way we combine actions with words. Without further ado, Joseph DeRoma. All right, Rising Man family, I've got another amazing man joining me here today, Joe DeRoma, coming in from Tampa, Florida. Good to see you, brother. Great to connect with you. How are you feeling today? Man, I'm feeling good. A little lit up, you know, good stuff. Yeah, man. We've got some intersecting lines from our backgrounds and experiences I'm excited to talk about today. One of the things that I'll, of course, mention in your intro that you are a Newfield certified coach and that you've studied in ontological language and somatics. I definitely want to jump into that. We might even open with it. But before we do, I got to ask you the question I ask everybody who comes on here, and that is, what does it mean to be a man? That's a great question, man. I've never been asked that before. For me, to be a man means that I'm living in my highest integrity, which are based off of the values that I set for myself. And then I consistently elevate my behavior to live at that level of values. So then I can be the best man that I can be. And then that carries over into every aspect of my life. And those values, right? Those cover you know, the four dimensions of life, right? Spiritual, emotional, mental, and physical. And when I'm living in my highest value, my highest purpose, my highest integrity, then I'm being a real man. Mm -hmm. Which full transparency, the reason I asked this question is because it's the question I was asking myself for so many years, going back to when I was 25 years old. And I realized I've seen a lot of 
men doing the man thing out there, but I really didn't know at that age what it meant. And obviously here I am 33 years old. So really the past eight years of my life, I've been discovering what that is for me and coming to my own definition of it. But I found that defining what it means to be a man is actually a very individual journey that we all get to decide that for ourselves. Would you say that's true for you or you've seen something similar for yourself? Absolutely. That's exactly why I stated it the way that I did, the values that I set forth and defined for myself, right? Because whatever, you know, Jetty defines is valuable or the best way that he's supposed to live his life is not the same as me. And that's okay. But I think whenever we're in a space where, you know, like you said, I'm always looking outward to see how I'm supposed to act and behave. When in actuality, I think we both are in agreement that you need to begin look inward. And that journey inward only happens from questioning things and asking myself, you know, hey, what does it mean to be a man for Joe? What are my values? What are these things for me? And then sitting with myself in time of contemplation without distraction to listen and really understand what that is. Just like you, until I did that, I wasn't clear on where I was going or what I was doing. And confusion, it just sucks confidence out of you. I like that. Even just that visual, because I can remember, I can even feel it in my body of what it used to feel like to be so confused, to not have an answer to that question. If somebody asked me, what does it mean to be a man? And the honest answer back then would have been, I have no fucking clue. The reason I ask this question so often is because I think this is episode number 173 or something like that. I don't even know right in this moment, but I've asked a hundred and at least over 160 guys, the same question. And it's not always the same. Sometimes it's different. And that I've come to learn that's an important thing to acknowledge is that there's not a right way to be a man in this world. There's some similarities. Like in what you said, I think that almost every man out there could say, yeah, that's part of my definition is figuring out what I stand for and then standing for it and following through and being that man. That's what being a man is for me. But those values and the way that we uphold what we believe in the world is really where the uniqueness comes in to that journey of manhood. So yeah, I'm glad that you spoke to it in that way. And the other reason I asked that question is because I know that you are host of the Successful Male podcast and the Successful Male, even in those words, the Successful Male, what makes for a successful male in your opinion? That's a great question also. And it's one that I get asked a lot, especially when you're leading a movement called the Successful Male, right? Because there's a lot of people that hear success anything and it turns them off because we're so tainted by this idea that society has painted of what a successful man is supposed to look like. And it's just not real, man. It's just not real. A successful man is somebody that leads with his highest integrity, lives a purpose-driven life, right? He has holistic transformation, which means that he has worked on himself in the areas of relationships, finances, He's worked on himself in terms of his business and career, as well as his mindset and mental health. And you can throw in their spirituality as well, right? And to think that any type of life that is one-dimensionally what deemed successful is a successful life is a farce. If you leave out any domain of your life, how can you possibly say you're successful? Okay, well, I have the corner office with the title but I never see my family? No. Or I'm jacked up, I'm ripped, I'm shredded, but I have no spirituality 
And, you know, I have no business or career fundamentals at all. I'm doing nothing other than focus on building my body. And conversely, all I do is just ever go out into the woods and, you know, and and sit there for 30 days. And I don't take care of any of my responsibilities as a father or show up being a provider. Like you have to find the optimum balance for you that you define, right? And guess what? It goes back to the same question you asked me. And that's the first question we ask people in our program. What is your definition of success? Because until you clearly define it for what your life, you're going to take on what your parents told you, what your guidance counselor told you, what society told you is to be successful. And you're never going to be able to really understand what it is that you want for you. All right, man, I'm going to take the baton from you because this is one of my favorite topics to talk about with men is personal authority. And I know you're a language guy, so you'll appreciate this. And maybe you've already figured this out for yourself too, but I always look at authority and the root word being author and thinking of authorship. Who's writing the story for you of what it means to be a man, what it means to be successful, whose voice is defining that and all the other things in your life. So I heard you speak about, you know, is it your parents that are still telling you what success is? Is it society that's still telling you that? What do you have to say for the guys out there about personal authority and taking that power back for themselves? Absolutely. You can't lead anyone unless you lead yourself first. And it starts with very simple things. And it starts with questions. What are my top five values? What is my purpose? What are my passions? Right. And you could take that even a step further. Right. Okay. What was it that I did when I was a kid that I felt light and free and I could, it was just naturally good at. Right. That might give you some inclination on what your passions are. You know, I would also say that, like I was saying before, in terms of personal authority and creating the life that you really want, it starts with daily discipline. I'm speaking from personal experience here is that we all have practices. And either they're serving us or they're not, but you're always doing something. You're always going somewhere, right? And it wasn't until I started changing what it was that I was seeking that things started to change for me, right? So once I started placing value on positive things in my life and I began to seek that at the same level of perseverance, resourcefulness, ambition, and grit that I did all the chaos and destruction... I channel that same energy and those same character traits that I had to pursue that and shift it into something positive, then guess what? I began creating a life that was the opposite of what I had before because I had changed what I was seeking. We're always seeking something. And guess what? For me, like until I started working on me on a daily basis, okay, prayer, meditation, reading, eating properly. You know, all these basic fundamentals that people just take for granted, they're very important because, you know, the law of compounding development, as you know, is simple, small things done consistently over time generate radical outcomes. And I tell people all the time, like if you're building the things that you want for your life, it's the same thing as going to the gym. You don't go to the gym for five hours once a week right? Like you go to the gym one hour a day, five days a week, right? And to think that anything else, whether it's your finances, whether it's your relationships, whether it's your career, it's all the same because laws are unchanging. Whether you agree with them or not is your problem, right? 
because there are laws. It's as sure as gravity. So it just depends on what are you seeking. And until I fixed internally within me, I didn't change what I was seeking. You know what I'm saying? No, oh, yeah, man. Well, I heard you say that we're always practicing something. And that was, I think, almost verbatim something that I heard from one of my mentors, a guy named Scott Cody, who studied with Julio Alaya and studied Fernando Flores. I, I don't know where that came from, but I think that's an important thing to bring into focus is that we're always practicing something. If you smoke weed every day, then you're practicing smoking weed consistently. If you're an alcoholic, then you're a practicing alcoholic. You're practicing how much alcohol your body can tolerate. And if you're in contrast, are you practicing your developing your mental acuity? Are you practicing developing your attention, your focus, your craft, whatever it is? We're always doing it. Even if it seems like we're not doing anything, we're, we're still training and preparing our bodies and our minds and our spirit to do something. I think that's a really important thing to bring in because I know that a lot of what we're practicing is unconscious and bringing awareness to the things that are unconscious practices, you know, unconsciously eating junk food, unconsciously being passive aggressive with our people that we care about, whatever you want it to be. Bringing awareness and attention to it is the first step in becoming the solution to doing something different. Yeah, that's powerful, right? Because I think a lot of people don't realize that you have fetal imprinting. So imprinting on the subconscious mind that happens before you're even ever given birth. You're taking on those energies and emotion, all that stuff. Then you're born from the time you're one and seven, you have your childhood identity imprinting, right? So your identity imprinting happens before you're even ever really conscious of what's going on in life. So there's some things that we begin practicing from at a subconscious level that are set up for us to survive. That is the purpose of the subconscious mind is to keep us alive, keep us surviving, right? So for a lot of years, that may have served us. Hell, it may even have gotten you super successful in your business, right? Because I don't know, maybe you were abused as a child and you used that as fire to never let something like that happen again and it gave you energy. But then guess what? After a while, then it was no longer serving you. You're experiencing burnout. You don't know how to let off the gas. You're doing going, right? And I'm just using this as an example, right? But the reality is we're human beings, not human doings. And I think both of us who are, you know, very spiritual beings in nature, like you have to take that time to slow down and sit with yourself. And if you've never done that before, you won't be able to start bringing into your consciousness what you're unconsciously doing. Now, I would also say, too, that we all have blindness, which blindness is you don't know what you don't know. And that's the role of leadership and mentorship, having those people in our life that love us enough to say, hey, man, you may want to take a look at it this way. Or, hey, did you know you were even doing this? Or, hey, man, you should probably fucking stop behaving like that because everyone is thinking you're an asshole and you're like, what? You know, and it's like you get these breaks in your current reality from people like that. And then you become conscious of what was previously unconscious to us. And then you get into that space. And then, like you said before, then you're really in personal authority because then you can create a new reality for your life. Oh, yeah. hundred percent, man. I mean, that... What you're talking to there is 
right out of my playbook. That's where I would love for every human being to be able to arrive to is a point where we value the feedback from others, knowing that we can't possibly see all of ourselves. <laughs> There's just no way. Just no way, man. We're too complex and we're too, like you said, too imprinted from a young age to see all of those blind spots. And I think too many people for too long have learned how to function and operate in the world by themselves and being afraid of what would happen if I got into a vulnerable conversation about the things that I can't see. And here I am, I'll be honest, it's still not comfortable for me. It doesn't get, I guess to some degree, it gets a little bit easier, but there's still an uncomfortable edge. I just had a really vulnerable conversation with three of my closest friends a week ago because it was starting to become apparent to me that I do something when I'm leading that I don't like. And I asked them about that. And I was like, guys, tell me more about what you're seeing here because I feel like I'm missing something. And they said, all right, well, we'll tell you. And they reflected it back to me. I was like, damn, fuck, really? Ah, I don't like that. But at the same time, I'd rather know about that than go on in the world where a bunch of other people won't tell me, (laughs) won't say that to me because they're afraid to, or we don't have that level of rapport. It doesn't take away the sting of it, but it does put me in a position where, okay, now I can do something about that. Now I've got a little more light shining on that blind spot that I had for myself. Yeah. And I think one of my like real zones of genius is leadership. I've been leading people for over 15 years. I ran restaurants for a really long time. So it's a high pressure, chaotic environment where you're running high, you know, seven figure sales and you're living Groundhog Day with kind of like the part of society that's, you know, the island of misfit toys a little bit where it's just like, yeah. And when you can create a space for people, where you can have deep connecting coaching conversations and you do hold that mirror up to them. And in the short term, they don't like you at all for it. But over time, they come to really respect you because there's an intention there of I'm doing this because I love you that much. If I'm leading you in that way, it's felt as love. That's how the body receives it. That's how the mind eventually will start to take it, right? The problem is that there's too many people in the world that don't want to have real conversations because it's not comfortable, even though it's the healthiest and most loving thing you can do for somebody. And then maybe, just maybe, you get to a point where you're like Jetty and you welcome it and say, no, I really want to know it because I just want to be better. I think it's also fair to acknowledge that there's also a lot of people out there who will deliver those assessments wanting to create some level of harm because they want you to feel less about yourself so I can feel better. And then there's way more of that out there in the world. So I understand where that discomfort comes from. And what I hear you and I both speaking about is being able to create relationships and connections and communicate using certain communication tools that diffuse some of that emotion so that we can be more objective in our language and actually grow from that space without the emotions triggering that amygdala, the survival response that brings up all the childhood stuff that you were talking about before and the floodgates come crashing down and all of a sudden it's like, Fort Knox, not getting in here. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think a lot of it too is expectations, man. I didn't just spring those conversations on people. I'm like, hey, we're going to be meeting on Tuesday and this is what we're going to be talking about. Me and my wife do the same thing. 
like, hey, we're going to meet on this day and we're going to talk about our, we're going to review our monthly budget and we're going to talk about everything else that we have going on because you're going into that conversation with the expectation. It's going to be uncomfortable. No one in a relationship likes, you know, walking in from the bathroom, putting your head on the pillow and you're like, hey, so I wanted to talk to you about this real quick. You haven't. And, you know, they drop a bomb on you at 1115. And then there's like an explosion and people wonder why they're fighting all the time. It's like, it's all just based on expectation. Hey, man, like we all know it's going to be uncomfortable, but don't like spring that onto me. <laughs> like, and that was, hey, I speak from experience. Like I've done that shit before and it's just, it's not fun, you know? And then, so a lot of it, like I said, it's just expectations too, man. If you're the one asking your friends, like, hey, this is starting to surface for me. Like, can you tell me more about that? You're not thinking that they're going to be like, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's not going to be uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. No. In fact, you know, you're, and this is a good, I think it's a good checkpoint for people who are like, what are you guys talking about? There's like that body radar. My body, I, the question was coming up in my mind. I saw the opportunity to ask these guys. We were out there. We had just brought a group of guys out into the desert to fast and the guys were out fasting for four days. So I was like, okay, here's some time and space where I've got my guys here. And this thing seems to be coming up right now. And the question came up in my head and my body was like, fuck you. (laughs) Fuck you. What are you thinking? Don't say that. And then because of my experience and having gone through this a number of times, I'm like, no, that means that's probably something I need to do. It's just my body getting ready to receive the arrows. Just like you said, I've delivered and received arrows unexpectedly. And oftentimes it creates a chaotic encounter because emotions are triggered, defenses are up, attack and defend, and we know how that goes. So at least saying, hey, here come the arrows. Let me just prepare myself for this and then be able to receive them. That's, I think that's a huge place for any human to be able to get to. Otherwise, we do what we were talking about 10 minutes ago, where we just keep running through life blind, crashing into things, crashing into people, leaving a wake of bodies and casualties and not looking back to say, oh, how did that happen? What was I doing? What was my responsibility in that? And I think in the greater scale of social responsibility and how we can leave a greater legacy for our kids to pick up, it requires that we do this uncomfortable stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And a couple things surfaced for me when you're talking. One, I've never had to apologize for anything I didn't say. That's number one. And then number two, when I first started leading people on my uh, phone, I would have this, it was like an old slide up phone, but the back of the, uh, like my background was a written piece of paper of the four questions you ask yourself before you speak. I got it from a Deepak Chopra book. And, you know, I had that on my backdrop for a year when I first started managing. And it was, is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? Does it improve upon the silence? Because for me, I'm a bulldozer. I know that I have forward energy, very resolute disposition, warrior mentality. You know, come on, if you can follow me, I'll take all the heat from, you know, being in the lead. That's fine. But I also had to begin balancing that out to show up for people where they're at, right? Not like, hey, you need to catch up with me or, hey, you need to be where I'm at. It's like if I'm leading people or if I'm leading my family or if I'm leading a conversation, I need to meet people where they're at 
so that I can best serve them and that we can have some sort of a healthy conversation that then is generative to be able to accomplish what it is that we want to accomplish. Mm. There you go, man. Well, I love that. Can you say those four questions again? Yes. Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? Does it improve upon the silence? What is the process? If you get a yes for all those things, you can say it. Is that how it works? <laughs> it- yeah, that's what I was doing. It was basically stopping me from talking is what I was doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and listen, I don't know if, you know, that was always the right thing to do or not. But I do know that if I didn't say it in that moment, but I could pull away from there and it did answer those questions, then I could follow back up with them when it maybe wasn't such a highly emotional time. And then the feedback or the conversation would go a little bit different because of the emotional state of when it was happening, right? Which in a sense, then I was in a different place emotionally, be able to deliver it, which then maybe with that energy showing up like that, it's received drastically different, right? Because, you know, like we were talking about in terms of the somatics with disposition work and stuff like that. I mean, some research shows as high as 80%, 90% people receive information from the body, maybe only 20 or 10% words, right? So like understanding that and getting into that type of work, it lent itself over time of practicing that time and time again to where then what I was consciously doing, and it was painful through the growing process, ultimately became unconsciously competent where I was just doing it. It was just a fabric of my being. Well, and what I hear in that is practicing something that you needed, right? Like just refining an area that was a blind spot for you. You recognized about yourself, you were a bulldozer. So you threw yourself into neutral a little bit more often (laughs) so that you didn't just like, you know, pave a path right through the heart of your community. And I respect that a lot. You know, I think that's a reflection of something that all of us can be doing. And what we're speaking to here is being personally reflective, curious about who I am as a person, how I be as a person. And what do I want to do about that to refine it? I know myself, it's also easy to layer shame on top of that and to have that part exposed and be like, oh, oh man, I feel kind of bad about that now that I see it. And I've also come to understand that shame is also just another safe place to go because then I don't actually have to do anything about it. Mm. Where did you learn that? from shaming myself for <laughs> forever the majority of my life. <laughs> I know. I was getting ready to say, I'm like, all this stuff I'm doing is just based out of self-reflection. I mean, my intention for all of last year and even into this year has been patience. And I did that practice on my phone 10 years ago. So perfectly imperfect. There you go, man. And always go on. And so let's shift gears a little bit and pivot into uh, speaking about just language. I think you said it on the recording, maybe it was before we recorded, you said the generative nature of language, which is like, feels like a safe place for me. Cause I'm like, ah, somebody who understands language and communication. And also that when you're saying the generative nature of language, you're not just talking about verbal language, correct? In that sense, I am. And I would say Mm -hmm. the way we were talking about it, yes. But I would say too, any conversation that doesn't incorporate the body, you know, or the mind isn't a great conversation because whether you're aware of it or not, it's happening, 
Right. Which naturally, especially these days where quarantine life, we're on phone calls, Zoom calls, text messages, DMs. There's so much of communication that is lost, right? I mean, every one of us has misread a message from somebody and gotten triggered by it when maybe that wasn't there and vice versa. So when we're talking about the ontology of language, would you give a definition of what your understanding of that is and why it's important, why it's an important tool for people. Sure. So language is our thoughts. Language is what creates reality, right? So if I say pink elephant, like, what do you think of? Well, your brain puts together everything that it knows about the word pink and the word elephant and crafts an image of what that is. And then in your mind, you have a reality of what a pink elephant would be. There's no such thing as a pink elephant, right? Or I would say, like, for instance, if I ask you, hey, Jetty, I'm, I'm moving on Friday. Can you come give me a hand moving? You say, sure. Yeah, I'll come help you. Well, I just made a request to you, right? By accepting that, I just changed your whole reality. Because now on Friday, you're going to be doing something totally different than you were before that speech act. Yeah, the asterisk there is possibly. Because <laughs> now we're talking right. about commitments and showing sure. up. But continue on that thread because that's important. I love that you're talking about requests and agreements. Yeah, so think, and that's part of speech acts, right? So in that same vein, let's say, well, then you accept that request. Okay, well, now it's agreed upon that Jetty will be there at 11 a.m. to help me move, right? Now, if I ask you that same question, hey, can you come help me move on Friday? And you say, Joe, I promise I'll be there at 11 a.m. Well, that one word, promise, intensifies the level of trust and belief that I have that you, Jetty, are going to be there to help me move on Friday. And that's the power of language. Right, because it's incorporated in the trust cycle. Because you just accepting a request of mine, yeah, yeah, I'll see you at 11, is a lot different than, yeah, I promise I'll be there at 11 for you. That one word just totally enhanced the commitment that we just made. Now, a lot of what people don't realize is then either they're scared to say no, right? I don't want to let him down, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but like, I don't want to go do that. That's okay if you don't want to go help someone move. Whatever the relationship is, it could be good or bad, right? It depends on what the situation is. Now, let's say you don't show up and you just agreed upon it, right? Oh, man, I totally forgot about that. Or you didn't show up and you promised me. What am I going to say? Damn, Jetty, bro, you fucking promised me you were going to be there. That's the power of one word. In terms of trust, in terms of commitments, in terms of speech acts, and that's the generative nature of language, right? Because everything that happens in our world is generated through conversations because before action is thought. Yeah, man. It's so good because that reminds me of a lot of the people-pleasing behaviors that we have where we write checks that our ass can't cash or our ass doesn't want to cash, right? Well, and it's so important when we're talking about men, 
you know, how much of our relationships are built on trust and follow through. I talk about commitments a lot and integrity and doing what you said you were going to do. That's for me, these are core values. If you ask me the question, what it means to be a man, that would be somewhere in my response. And when I said the asterisk of, you said, that means you're going to show up. I said, possibly, because we all have different definitions for different words. So I think about somebody who as a child, they had a figure, an authority figure who made promises to them. Oh, don't worry about it, kiddo. I promise I'm going to take you to the park tomorrow. Or yeah, kiddo, don't worry. I'll promise I'll, I won't miss your recital this time. And they had a history of broken promises. Then their definition of what promise is going to be different, either how they use that word or how they receive it from somebody else. But that doesn't change the word though. It doesn't change the word. Their assessment of what the word is. There you go. So talk about that now. Let's clarify. So assessment. So that's very important distinction. Because if I'm thinking, and believe me, I love the word integrity. I love the word character. I've been on a high horse right now talking about so many men are soft right now. They're just soft. And when I say they're soft, it's because integrity is a firm adherence to moral codes. Character is moral excellence or firmness. Well, what's the opposite of soft? Firm. Well, I'm firm in my integrity, my moral codes, my character. Okay. So, If you have a situation where time after time, your dad lets you down, broken promises, you know, your assessment, which is your reality of what that word means is going to be different than someone else that did. You know, I can't trust that guy. Or yeah, I mean, everyone's like that. So now what happens is, is I start applying that to all sorts of other relationships in my life when that's not the truth. The reality is that if someone promises you, they should be there because they're showing you through their behavior that they value you. They value the relationship. That's what people don't understand. Your behavior is a clear indicator. It is very reflective of what your values are. What you value most in in life is shown through your behavior. So if you don't constantly show up for your kid, it means that you value everything else other than showing up for your kid. And that's the hard part. That's where people will be like, well, but I'm doing this so that I can take better care of. It's like, well, that's the objectivity we're talking about, right? Let's not give 80 and call it a hundred. Let's just be honest with what's there. Because if you can rightfully admit that, yeah, judging by my actions, which is in my opinion, the only thing worth judging anybody based on, if I just judge by my actions and my actions reveal that I'm not showing up for my kid, I'm not a present father, then that sucks. That stings. Just like what I was talking about before, when I got that feedback from my bros, like that stings. And it also gives me a place in which I can intervene. Same mentor, Scott Cody used to say, you can't intervene in a world you can't see. So you have to be able to see it first and to acknowledge it and to say, you know what? Yeah. I will agree with that. Just taking a quick half step back, because you introduced the word assessments, which I think is really important here. And so assessments, agreements, standards. Well, because, and this is just my understanding of it, is that this whole thing we're talking about, all of life is all about relationships, relationship to ourself, relationship with others, relationship to inanimate things, but relationships in general. And my understanding is that a relationship is a product of the agreements and expectations that are created between two entities. So 
you know, you and I, this is the beginning of a relationship here, right? And I'm learning that, oh, Joe sounds like a guy who is going to do what he says he's going to do. And I might test that by saying, hey, Joe, will you help me come and move on Saturday? Just like the example you gave before. And then I give you the opportunity and make the request and you say yes. And then you show up on Saturday and you're there five minutes early and you've got a bottle of water and some potato chips for, I'm like, wow, Joe's that kind of guy. When I ask Joe for something, he follows through and it reinforces that belief I have. Now we do that repeatedly over time. Like you said, the compounding development law, right? You do that over the course of a year, five years, 10 years before you know it. I know I can count on you to show up in anything because a hundred percent of the time you showed up and you were your word. Or also if you dropped a commitment, cause we're also human, right? And things happen. We absent brain, something. And you said, Jetty, I am sorry that I dropped that commitment. I take ownership. I dropped the ball on that. What you can count on from me moving forward is this. And then you restore that trust by picking up right where you left off. The value of that, you can't put a number on it. It's indescribable. And I think there's a lot of people who don't really understand the depth of trust that can be developed just by the way you show up. Yeah. I would say that there's a very important thing to point out here, and that's something called renegotiation. If it's Thursday, hey, I'm sorry, Jetty. I'm not going to be able to make it there on 12 o'clock. I got this going on. Apologize, man. I know I told you I was going to be there, but this is what's going on. Guess what? I now renegotiated that commitment. Or hey, I'm not going to be able to make it there by 12. I have this going on. I'll be able to come and help you at two. Right? But if I just don't show up, right? There's a drastic difference. You got to renegotiate to make sure that you keep that commitment intact because you break the trust. Now, going on the back end of what you said in terms of forgiveness, people have a very hard time placing a distinction on acceptance and approval. Acceptance and approval. Acceptance is I'm accepting what reality is. Jetty let me down. It's my responsibility if I want peace to forgive him. If not, it's going to breed resentment and ultimately I'll be seeking some sort of revenge, right? I may be angry, which means then I'm seeking justice, but I want to stay out of the realm of resentment. I voiced to Jetty very clearly, hey man, I accept your apology. I'm just going to let you know, don't do that again, which is clearly stating in my state of boundaries within the relationship that I don't approve of that behavior. And if you continue to do that, you won't be in my life, right? And you said something very earlier that was very important to me. I grew up from two codependent parents. One of the biggest challenges that I ever had to overcome was doing deep cognitive work with a therapist on codependent behavior, reading a lot of books and putting things in practice, like with the phone and all these different things to shift how I think and how I behave and how I feel, right? Because the fear people would think less of me ruled my life. And I was scared to say no quite often, you know, but the problem is that The word no has two essential factors, dignity and freedom. And when I say yes, when every fiber of my being, my body, I can feel, I want to say no, I say yes, I give up my dignity and I give up my freedom. Conversely, when I show up for myself in a space where I say no, when I want to say no, I get to keep my dignity and my freedom. And shit takes practice. Okay. But again, 
If you continuously say yes to people when you want to say no, I'm sure you've been around those people and they're just, they got a badass attitude when you're trying to move. You're like, dude, what's wrong? Well, I don't really want to do this. It's like, dude, then you just should have said no. You don't have to be here. I was just asking. What? Yeah, we've all been around those guys. And it's like, dude, just say no. It's okay. FOMO, man. FOMO. Yeah. That's got to be like maybe a part two episode we do because there's, there's just, I mean, that's a whole nother thing about just personal integrity, like honoring what is true for you. Do your teachers, do they talk about uppercase truth and lowercase truth? Is that a distinction that you're familiar with? No, I like the sound of it. Okay. So this maybe this is just something that Scott came through with. Well, that there's assertions, right? And there's assessments, right? You know that distinction? Oh, yeah. So they talk about, well, then there's uppercase T, true for assertions, like universal truth, facts, two plus two equals four, things that we all agree upon so that we can conduct ourselves in language together. But then everything else is assessments, lowercase t. This is my perspective. This is my assessment of the way I see a situation, the way I see myself, the way I see you, the way I see society. And making that distinction between assertions and assessments and not getting the two confused. Because I don't know what the percentage would be, but like 99% of what we hear every day are just assessments. And if you start training your attention for them, you're like, well, that is actually just an assessment is really a fancy word for an opinion, right? It's the way someone sees something. So you may look at something and say, yeah, that is a beautiful tree. Someone else could look at it and say, that is the ugliest tree I've ever seen. And the only thing that's true about it or that the only assertion, uppercase T, is that it's a tree because we've all agreed that is a tree. It has roots, it has branches and leaves, but everything you guys both said about it was an assessment. And the fact that that plays so much of a role in how we encounter relationships with each other is really important and not to give so much power or authority to the assessments of others. I think that goes back to what we were saying a little bit earlier on is who do I give permission to make assessments about me, about my decisions, about my life. That's part of being a self-directed autonomous person in this world. Not being so prideful that I say, oh, fuck everybody. I don't need anybody to, you know, I don't, I'm not going to take assessments from anybody, but also not being on the other end of the spectrum and having no dignity, no backbone, no authority over what I allow into my field or not, you know, somewhere in the middle there. So, you know, before we start to wrap it up, just wondering what your thoughts are about that. Yeah. I'm glad that you brought that up. My thought before that's the road we were going down because I'm glad you brought it back up. So just to make it clear for, you know, all your listeners over time, those assessments or those opinions that we have about what we believe reality actually is, we say it so many times that in our mind, it becomes an assertion. So it becomes the truth. So the example you said earlier that might, you know, hey, the dad keeps breaking promises. Well, now that kid grows up to believing that he just can't trust anybody because that was his truth. Those assessments became assertions. And that's where the problem lies, right? In our coaching world, we call them master assessments. These things that we've told ourselves for so long that they've now become the truth. If you don't believe it to be an opinion, it actually is what reality is. So, so much of the work that I do with my clients and that all of us should be doing is unraveling a lot of what those things are. And 
that can even circle back to what we were talking about in the beginning that both you and I are doing right now. And that is the belief of what a man is and not listening to all the assessments out there and all the bullshit, not believing what success is supposed to be all out there, but making your own beliefs, you know, and not taking on all that other stuff. You know what I'm saying? And I'll end with this. The in terms of relationships, and I've been preaching this a lot, as men, we have a hard time reaching out for help. And we think it's weak and we're losing men like crazy to suicide, you know, prisons, all sorts of stuff. Here's what I'll ask you. Like when your friend calls you and he's got something going on, how does that make you feel that he called you? Honored, right? And you're sitting in a place of joy and service, and you're just showing up for him. There's no thought that you think less of him at all. Okay. So here's the challenge that I want to give the men and and your listeners. Show up for the relationships in your life to provide those other men in your life that opportunity of being of service. It's your responsibility and your half of the relationship to not always be the hero not always be the savior, but to show up for them, to allow them to love you, allow them to lead you, allow them to serve you because it's a two-way street. And that's how you build healthy relationships. And it goes the same thing for with your wives, your girlfriends or whatever you got. The lie is that you always got it all figured out. Well, you must be a podcaster because you certainly can tie up a tail really well. I like it. You made my job easy here today, Joe. Told me what to do, awesome, man. You man. Too much fun, dude. If there's one thing that's clear, we got to do a part two at some point. I really enjoyed chatting with you, man. Before I cut you loose, I want to ask you a couple of lightning round questions. You ready for those? Let's do it, man. All right. What's one thing that you've learned in your life that you wish you knew when you were 18? I love this question. I always give the same answer. No amount of money, cars, clothes, women, booze, drugs, jobs, or anything in the world can ever fill the hole that only God and self-love can. Nice. And what do you think is the most important value to have as a man? Mm, Integrity. What does the world need most of from men right now? Love and leadership. Awesome, man. And last but not least, where would you like people to come and follow you, work with you, engage with you, give us all the details and links, et cetera? Awesome, man. Now the fun stuff. You can check out the Successful Mail podcast. We're on all platforms. You can check out the SuccessfulMail.com. Uh, my website is joderoma.com. That's where I do my ontological work. And, um, you know, hit me up on social media. You know, I'm a lot like Jetty in terms of, you know, super open and, and super responsive. So just Joseph DeRoma on all platforms. I'm heavy on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Awesome, man. Well, Joe, a lot of respect to you and the body of work you've done. I can clearly see that you are embodying the things you speak about, which is refreshing for me to see in men. I feel like I've got another brother, another bulldozer on the battlefield (laughs) by my side. And yeah, a lot of love and respect for what you're doing. Wishing you the best of luck out there, man, because it's important work and your presence and the way that you show up here is definitely something we need. So keep it up, man. Appreciate you. Likewise. All right, family, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Make sure you go check out Joseph DeRoma and everything he's doing with the Successful Male Podcast and Successful Male North America. And make sure you swing over to risingman.org again, check out what we got going on. We got some big things coming up in the summer and the end of the spring here. So go check us out today. 
for access to links and resources mentioned in the episode and all of our episodes. You can see the show notes also at risingman.org. Please subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to our newsletter and our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the rising man movement. Please follow us on Instagram at rising man movement. Shoot us a message, tag us in your images when you're listening to the podcast. We love seeing that stuff. Shout out to the power squad, Sean, Rowan, Julian, Ryan, Mark, and Kyle. Love to all of you guys out there listening and everybody who's supporting the rising man movement to move. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.